So we're in a series called Family on Purpose, and this morning we're going to be talking about joining your child on their journey to discovering their uniqueness, their gifts, how God has wired them their way, their way. Uh, Francis Chan is a pastor and author, and he once said, our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at things in life that really don't matter. And I want us to talk about something that really matters this morning. Walking with your child, helping them discover and delight in their God-given strengths. Their God-given strengths. And the one verse that I want us to look at this morning is Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. It's up on your screen. It's on your outline. It's, it's this piece of wisdom from the Lord today. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let's say that together on three. One, two, three. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs telling us to train up, to train. It's our role as parents, moms and dads, to train our children to discover and delight in their God-given strengths. There it is. Train your child to discover and delight in their God-given strengths and gifts. And there's three parts to this. There are three players in this. There's you, me, the parent. We have a role. We have a responsibility. There's the child. The child has a part in this as well. The responsibility of discovery. And then there's God's part. His role. His peace. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The parent's responsibility, the child's discovery... And God's sovereignty. Let's first talk about our role. Summarized by the word train or train up. Now, you know in English, English words have multiple meanings depending on their context. They're layers. And it's true also in the language of the Proverbs, the Hebrew language. That word train up has layers, and two layers that I want to emphasize in this verse is, well, there's consecration, and then there's cooperation. Consecration and cooperation. Train up comes from a Hebrew word, which literally means to consecrate, to dedicate. Uh, The word appears four times in the Hebrew Bible. The first three times refers to the temple. And so isn't it interesting that the fourth use would be in reference to our children. So we're talking about a life which God considers to be a sacred dwelling place. A sacred space for himself. And we are to dedicate them, we are to consecrate them to that reality. That there is a God who is in heaven, who made everything who oversees the heavens and the earth, and that God wants to make your heart his home. What an amazing 
transformative, revolutionary truth that is. To think that you, that your child matters to God, that he, he would make his home in the child of your heart, uh, in the heart of your child and mine. I can tell you this much, that attitude did not exist in the first century uh, culture of the Roman Empire. Not the Roman Empire. The idea of your heart being a sacred space is unique to our Judeo-Christian heritage. It's unique to Christianity. Christianity, you know, things that we think about that we just think everybody's always thought, not true. In the first century Roman Empire, children were considered non-persons. Non-persons. Uh, in the first century Roman Empire, in Jesus' day, half the children who were born died before they reached the age of 10. And so it was frowned upon for mothers to develop an emotional attachment to those children. We think, how foreign, how odd. That was their world. That was the day in which they lived. And so when Jesus said something like, let the children come to me. You know, kind of even like his own disciples go, well, now why, what? What is that about? Part of that was the cultural influence of the fact that children just were not treasured or valued. And those who did survive past the age of 10, uh, my goodness, well, Roman law, I am not making this up, gave the father's Almost absolute power over the lives of the children up to when they were uh, adults. Which meant that a father could order the death of, of his child, of his son, or his daughter. In fact, Roman law gave the fathers nearly unlimited power over their children. The first eight days could put that child out and abandon that child and let that child die. And many did. Many did. And that is so foreign to our way of thinking. So vicious and so cruel. But Christianity brought a transformation. Uh, uh, a new mindset. A new way of thinking. That these lives were made in the image of God. And your child matters to God. God wants to dwell in the heart of your child because God wants to dwell in your heart, you see. You see, that, that's all behind this word train up, which has to do with consecration, dedication. And it transformed Roman culture. Christianity did. And that's one of the reasons why I'm a Christian. Because, because of Jesus has such a high view of children. A high view. It's our role. It's our responsibility to dedicate them, to consecrate them, to set them on a trajectory. Sounds like arrows, doesn't it? Huh? Sounds like arrows. Well, the psalmist talks about that in Psalm 127, where the psalmist speaks of our children as arrows. We are the archers, mom and dad, and they're the arrows, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. 
that they are like arrows means it's our responsibility to sharpen their thinking, to stabilize their feelings, to consecrate them on the path of pursuing Christ. And that leads me to another layer to this word train up. Consecration and cooperation. Cooperation. You see, the Hebrew word translated train up is related to an Arabic word. Hebrew and Arabic were cousin languages. And, and the Arabic word for train up was often used uh, uh, to describe the custom of a midwife who would dip her index finger into a pool of crushed dates or grapes in order to massage the palate of the newborn's mouth so that the baby would cooperate in nursing. You see? You get the assumptions here? It's our, we're the lead guide. We're the lead trainer. God has authorized us and deputized us to lead the child whom he has put into our care. It's, it's, no, it's no coincidence that in, in the Ten Commandments, the first four deal with our vertical relationship with God. The last five deal with our horizontal relationship with one another. But the fifth commandment is the honor your father and mother commandment. That is to say, parents, we are the link Parents, we are the priest. The word priest means bridge. We are the bridge between loving God and loving people as we send our children toward a trajectory of honoring Him. And and that takes work. You know, to sharpen and stabilize. It takes work. Uh, If we don't do that, otherwise they're, they're not arrows, they're just sticks. They're to be sent on a path. It takes skill and time and patience and self-giving love. And that attacks the dark side of my flesh. Because truth be told, I want self-parenting children. I want pre-sanctified children. I want babies that sleep through the night. I want toddlers that never throw a tantrum. I want children I can take to the restaurant without being embarrassed. I want offspring who will do their homework without being nagged or without my help so that I can watch television. I want an easy life for myself. That's my dark side. It just is. And that dark side causes me to get upset when my sons act waywardly. But not because they've dishonored the God who created them. Not because their defiance puts distance between themselves and the amazing God who loves them. No, I'm upset because their foolish behavior makes me look bad as a minister before you all. That's my dark side. I make it about me. It's not about me. And and, and, and any disciplinary issue is not about them and me. It's not. It needs to be about them and God. Them and God. Because they belong to God. And they need to know that. And I need to know that. And so, and so now comes the hard, heavy question. And it's a heavy question. And I want to ask this gently, but I want to ask it clearly. What would break my heart more if my kids don't end up loving me or if they don't end up loving Jesus. 
And one of the greatest gifts that we can give them is a taste, a hunger for God to help them taste and see that the Lord is good. Let me really get personal. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Have you seen that the Lord is good? Well, this is our role. It's our responsibility to to consecrate and help them cooperate. But we're not the only players here. We're not. They're players too in this. And their role is one of discovery. One of discovery. That's the part of the proverb that says, the way he should go. The way he should go. And I like how one translation puts it. Train up a child in the way he should go. And in that translation is uh, actually this, uh, uh, this phrase in parenthesis. And in keeping with his individual gift or bent. There it is. You hear what Proverbs is saying? Our children are as unique as snowflakes. And even within the same family, two boys born of the same mom and the same dad, reared in the same environment, are, can be completely different. You know this. One is strong-willed, the other compliant. One is organized, the other messy. One is an academic ace, the other struggles to find out where the homework is. One is mechanical, the other is more philosophical. One's a natural-born leader, while the other just enjoys following and supporting. Some are more introverted, others more extroverted. Think about the children in the Bible. Adam and Eve gave birth to Cain and Abel, who could not have been more different, young men. What about Jacob and Esau? Esau, this outdoorsman, this rough and ready hunter, while Jacob was more cultured and refined, preferring the comforts of home and fixing meals in the kitchen. Jesse's oldest son, Eliab, was deceiving and jealous, while his youngest son, David, proved to be heroic and unselfish and humble and creative and independent. Same parents, same household, completely different sons. Why is that? Because each child has a way. His way. Her way. Our children come from God. And they're not blank slates. They're not soft lumps of clay for us to mold into what we think they should be. Our children come with a set of God-given abilities and intellectual capacities. Which brings the question, how can we know the way they should take? Well, you know the answer to that already. By watching. By observing. By paying attention to his way or her way. Proverbs chapter 20, verses 11 and 12. Even a child makes himself known by his acts. By whether his conduct is pure and upright. The hearing ear, the seeing eye. The Lord has made them both. So our children tell us who they are every day. They tell us who they are by what they do, by how they do it, by what they say, by how they say it, by what they enjoy, by what they struggle with, by what thrills them, by what challenges them. Uh, I came across an excellent book uh, for educators and parents written by an educator. Her name is Jennifer Fox. And um, it's in the genre of the strengths building category books that have been out of late. And it's called Your Child's Strengths. 
your child's strengths. Listen to what educator Jennifer Fox wrote. Strengths are the things that we do that make us feel energized and alive when we do them. And every single person has strengths. Children's innate strengths are like live wires connecting their unique inner qualities to their promise as adults. And those wires have life's most potent energy flowing through them. And we as adults have the power to amp up or damper down the energy flow. And when the energy is turned up and the strengths are developed to their fullest, people's passions light up. Life becomes meaningful and enjoyable, even in the face of conflict. Strengths are what push people to that place. Strengths are the things that keep our curiosity engaged. Strengths are the things that step out ahead of us and beg us to follow. Strengths are what we would do if money, prestige, and responsibility were inconsequential. Our strengths speak to us with a persistent, urging voice that begs for us to take notice, to unleash them. And in doing so, we put our best selves forward, and not just in school, and not just at work but in our relationships in life. Wow. Her book proceeds to uh, lay out three types of strengths for us to consider about our children, uh, ourselves as well. She talks about activity strengths, learning strengths, and relational strengths. Let's unpack each of those briefly. First, the activity strengths. Uh, That describes the activities that your child does that brings energy to him or herself. Uh, These activities engage their talents and help them perform uh, jobs well and bring them pleasure. And children can discover their activity strengths uh, by means of conversational questions given by their parents. And I like how Jennifer Fox has a little template to see how this works itself out. She encourages parents to help children uh, uh, discover their activity strengths by naming the activity and then breaking the activity down into at least three smaller parts and then talking about which part the child likes best. So here's an example, all right? Let's say your child responds, I like this action. Let's say your child says, cleaning my room. Use your imagination, all right? (laughs) I know, It is a pleasant fiction, but uh, cleaning my room, and now, okay, break that down. Break that down. Well, uh, straightening up, doing laundry, making my bed. Okay, all right. The part I like best. The part, and, and then, and then, the one word that describes what I like best about this. See, we're talking to our child about that. And your child might say, well, order, order. Right, here's another example. Uh, I like this action, uh, grocery shopping. Okay, let's break it down. You know, making the list, choosing the food in the store, putting away the groceries. Well, the part I like best about this, what would that be? Oh, making the list. Well, okay, the one word that describes what I like best about this, planning. Planning, you see? And, and the parent who just in a conversational way uh, walks with their child on their journey through some... Uh, some, some uh, well-meaning questions can help their child discover their activity strengths. But then there are also learning strengths. Learning strengths. So your child has a unique learning style. And for some, it's visual. 
They like to read it and see it and watch it if they're going to understand it. For some, it's audio. They want to hear it. They want to, they want to hear themselves say it. And for others, it's tactile. They've got to get their hands on it. They, they want to try it, practice it. They learn by doing. Some of our children learn best when they can be alone and just figure it out. Others need a lab partner or a part of a study group. Some learn best by taking a test, yeah. Some by researching all by themselves. Some need another person in the room who will quietly work with them. And still others like to study with their pet. Do you know your child's learning strengths? There's activity strengths and learning strengths and then relational strengths. Relational strengths. And the book defines relational strengths as those actions or acts of love which your child gives to strengthen the relationships of others. So they're gifts. They're uh, what uh, one author calls love languages. And it might be a gift of time. It might be the gift of an affirming or encouraging word. Or it might be the gift of service or Sometimes it may be just a tangible, physical gift, but these gifts are practical ways of sharing love and kindness and generosity and other character traits from the Holy Spirit. And parents, we help our children in this discovery process of these three strength types through conversational questions with our child as we're doing life together. Um, There are a series of questions that I've included in your outline that will help facilitate such conversations. I won't review those questions, but I will have us note this one conversational map, which she calls five whys, five whys. And it's a series of why questions, again, conversationally given to help your to help you and your child discover their heart motive of why they do what they do. And it sounds something like this. So Angie, what is it you love about horses? Well, they're, they're such big and beautiful animals. and I love big animals. Well, why are you drawn to horses and say not to giraffes or elephants? Well, I like a horse because you can ride a horse. Oh, well, well, people ride elephants. I mean, how come not an elephant? Well, I don't think you can get an elephant to jump. Also, is it jumping that you love? No, no, I love horses because at first they, they don't do what you want them to do. Well, what do you mean? Well, at first the horse doesn't know you, and so the horse is trying to figure, figure you out, and you've got to stay on that horse until the horse trusts you. And then Jennifer Fox uses those three magic words. Here they are. Tell me more. Tell me more. Well, at first, the horse doesn't trust you and pulls away. And then after a while, the horse starts to work with you. And if you stick with it, in the end, it's like the horse ends up dancing with you. And Angie was smiling when she said that. And Jennifer said she was smiling, too. And so Jennifer says, so Angie, what's your strength? Angie says, well, I think it's teaching. But I only want to teach something I can be a part of in the end. I only want to teach something I can be a part of in the end. And there it is. There it is. It's the aha moment. Uh, It's what Jennifer Fox calls a strengths epiphany. A strengths epiphany. 
Something your child can take with her and use for the rest of her life. That is your child's way. His way. Her way. And a strength's epiphany will help your child find their flow. Their flow. I like that term in Jennifer Fox's book because she describes flow as, here it is, the act of being so absorbed in an activity that you lose your sense of time and place. The act of being so absorbed in an activity that you lose your sense of time and place. So, so you know, you know, do you know? I started working on this project and I blinked and it was two hours later. Wow. Because I lost my sense of time and place. See? That's the way you should go. Do you understand that? See, here's the deal. I mean, attitudes and life choices are more caught than taught. And so if you want them to discover and delight in their God-given strengths, well, what about you? What about you? Have you discovered the way God has wired you? Have your children witnessed your relational activity and learning strengths? Have they seen the look on your face at your strengths epiphany? You said, I don't have time for that. I got to work. No. No. Because the God who wants to indwell their hearts as a temple wants to indwell your heart too. And you are giving them a front row seat to see His amazing presence in your life. So... So what is it? And, and can we be a church community? What if we were a church community? What if it, what if it wasn't just something that your church, that your family delighted in throughout this discovery process? But what if all of us could? What if this could be a place, a gathering of believers who trusted the goodness of God, who helped one another discover and delight in their unique way, and our connection space out in the lobby could be a space where conversations could happen, and we could enjoy one another, and we could say to one another, tell me more, tell me more, so that we could get to the heart motive of how God wired you. My goodness, my goodness, who can be another voice in your family, to help your child discover and delight their unique way. Who can say what you would say to your child, but in a way that your child can hear? Who can celebrate that? Who can encourage that? Who can affirm that? See, this is an us verse, isn't it? A church family verse. Parents' responsibility, the child's discovery, and then, oh, there's God's role. And that is to sovereignly oversee their lives. That's the part that I want to talk about when we read this phrase, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We must know that this phrase 
is a part of a verse. And this verse is a part of a chapter. And this chapter is a part of a book called Proverbs. And Proverbs is a part of a larger book called the Bible. And the Bible tells the true story of a sovereign God who created all that is seen and unseen and who is in control and who will direct your child according to His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And that's one of the most visionary truths that we can give our children that there is a God who is good and loving and big and mysterious and that God has a plan for their lives and that we are not the result of some random chance cosmic explosion that your child is fearfully and wonderfully made and loved and cherished by a heavenly father who's not mad at you but who enjoys you and who invites you into his story God wants your child to be a part of his story and while we can encourage our child, to accept God's gracious invitation, we cannot make that choice for them. We can't. We are not in control of our child's destiny. We're not. We cannot create faith in our child's heart. Only God can do that. Only God can change their heart. And I say this because unfortunately there's been a lot of bad preaching about Proverbs 22.6 which erroneously say that if you'll just attend church enough and perform enough religious duties and activities then your child will be okay but only if you do that. And I call that the do more, try harder interpretation of Proverbs 22.6 and that's bad preaching. It's simply, it's no more than parenting by behavior management. And many parenting books are really nothing more than that. Many Christian parenting books are nothing more than just a series of moralistic behavioral management techniques. And what God wants is your child's heart. God wants your child's heart. He wants us to parent their hearts. He wants hearts motivated out of selfless love. Our kids are smart enough to see that if they outwardly comply, it's in their best interests. They don't want to face the consequences of disobedience. And of course, that brings short-term peace and the brief appearance of successful parenting. But listen, the fear of consequences won't keep kids from making sinful choices when they think that they can avoid those consequences. And why is that? Well, because the heart, that's why. Paul says this in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And that includes my precious little yet-to-be-born granddaughter named Audrey. She's a sinner. And she's not even been born just like her grandfather. It's a sinful, broken, fallen world. And we're born into that. And we're part of that. And here's the deal. When our children rebel, we're tempted to be angry with God. 
We're tempted to remind him of our efforts and our sacrifices and our godly focus. And we don't think it's fair that our children turn away from the Lord, especially when we compare our efforts to those of others who don't seem to have any problems and who never really stood for the Lord the way we have. We think we deserve better. And the fact is, none of us deserve godly kids because none of us have the power to change their hearts. We, we can't even change our own hearts on our own. None of us have been perfectly consistent in loving our children. No home is what it should be because no one's home is free from the brokenness of sin. All of our homes are dysfunctional to a certain extent because all of us fail to function in the ways of God, both parents and children alike. So God's sovereign mercy is our only hope. Our only hope is God's grace, not our children, not our parenting skills, not our spouse, not the books or articles we read. Only God. And we serve a God who can change hearts, who can turn hearts back to himself. And he's able to forgive us for our failures as parents and to show mercy to our children. He's able to overcome our past and our present difficulties. And he's able to help our children find their way so that when they grow old, they will not depart from it. Your child's story is not over. And neither is yours. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he shall not depart from it. Sometimes that verse works in the reverse flow. Train up a parent in the way he should go. I'm thinking about uh, one of my closest friends, Ken Boatwright. I've known Ken since I was a junior in college. And Ken came to Christ as an adult. And as a result of his conversion, his wife was converted to Christianity. and Ken's spiritual influence not only touched their children and their grandchildren and now their great-grandchild. <laughs> but Ken's spiritual influence also touched his own father. As a result of Ken's life in Christ, his father and his mother were influenced for Christ and Ken led them to the Lord. Ken got to witness his parents being baptized into Christ. And yesterday, Ken was at his father's bedside when his dad breathed his last and stepped into eternity. And on Friday, my friend Ken Boatwright is going to preach his dad's funeral. And they will be together again because when he is old, he will not depart from it. What a spiritual legacy. But it begins with you. 
Will you let God have your heart, mom and dad, so that your child or your mom and dad who sees you in the privacy of your home and they see your life, they will be able to witness to what this amazing God can do to change hearts. Gracious God, we are so thankful for your mercy. Your mercy is new every morning. We're so thankful for your ability to change hearts. And that's why we're here. Lord, because of what you have done to transform us into the likeness of your son. And you're not through yet. So God, we give ourselves to you and we give the children who are yours to you to do as you will. As Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. And the church said, amen. Amen. Would you stand and sing with me?